that I haven't planned. I'm going to surprise somebody a little bit, and that's Denise. Denise Griffin is here. Would you come up here? Um, many of you know Denise several years ago. Denise and Joe headed out simply because they felt God was calling them to go to Alberta to work with the Blood Tribe, a group of uh, Aboriginals. You okay with this? Yes. You good? All right. I was surprised to see Denise today, but they are working there still in God's blessing in beautiful and wonderful ways. Uh, and I just want to pray for you, and I want our church to pray for you. You don't need to say anything. Don't worry about that, because I would have warned you before if you were going to say anything. But I think it's just really a cool thing, um, what God has done in the lives of these two people. And... Uh, so let's pray. Can we pray for you? Gracious God, we're just thankful for Denise and Joe and their willingness to obey your call. Uh, Lord, just to go, to, to hear that, that, that you wanted them to work with this uh, tribe of people in Alberta who so desperately need the message of Jesus. And Lord, they obeyed the call and they did it in faith and with courage and with determination. And Lord, as they have gone, you have blessed them and you are using them in significant ways to touch the lives of precious people. And God, our prayer is simply that you will bless these two, that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you will encourage them, that you'll provide for them everything that they need. And God, most of all, that you will bless their words as they speak Christ into the lives of these people so that many come to know him. So God, just put your hand on Denise's life and on Joe's life still and uh, use them in a mighty way for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <clears throat> Let me pray. God, uh, we're just so thankful for uh, your word. Uh, Lord, we're in this year of the Bible as a church where your people have been challenged to read it every day, to study it deeply in life groups, to go to night school, to do all these things, Lord, which allows us <clears throat> to dig in and understand it at a deeper level and be transformed by it. And God, as we turn to it today, we pray that you will bless this word <clears throat> that comes uh, from Scripture into the minds and hearts of these people. Bless me, Lord. Give me the words to speak that I can accurately and faithfully communicate the contents of this precious book. God, we just pray that you will be with us, that you'll bless us as a church, that you'll continue to do such remarkable things in the lives of people uh, as you have been doing in recent days. And God, that uh, as your spirit moves, we'll just stand back in awe because of how good you are. Uh, at work as you work among us. So, Lord, bless our church, but in specific, Lord, we pray that you'd bless us now as we turn to uh, this story uh, from Luke 15 once again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought maybe I'd begin this morning by, by uh, asking you a question, which I often do, of course. I actually consider my sermons like dialogues. I don't know if you noticed that, but I do. I mean, it's, it's like I, I talk to you and I ask questions and I know you don't say very much and that's fine. It's the way I like it, actually. Um, <laughs> but I want you to really engage with, with, with what I'm saying. Because, and, and hopefully, as I say, what I'm saying is coming straight from the book, this inspired book called The Bible. But I want to ask you this. As we are in the year of the Bible... Do you find yourself when you go to it and when you read it on a daily basis and when you study it in your life group and when you go to night school with Carl, when you do the things that we are just holding up as priority this year, do you find yourself challenged by the Bible? I told you not to talk, right? <laughs> Andy Groen, I mean, somebody sit him down. No, I'm kidding. That's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I hope you're all like Andy. I honestly do. I hope you're challenged by it. The Bible does a lot of things. Doesn't it? It comforts us when we're brokenhearted. You know, we lose people that are precious to us or things go wrong in life. 
we have times in life when we're brokenhearted, and the Bible comes and it speaks. God leads us to the texts, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is saying, I am with you, and I love you, and I'm going to help you through this time, and we're comforted. Sometimes, you know, the Bible speaks and, and, and brings faith when we're afraid, right? So things are going on in life, and we feel like, oh, no, you know, uh, and, and even get to the point of being terrified. Sometimes it's described in Scripture that way, and we think we're in deep trouble, and the Bible comes along. God comes along, and he uses this book, and he said, I am with you, and you have nothing to fear because I will deal with your circumstance. Leave it to me. And we walk away, oh, man, what was I worried about? Right? And our faith is bolstered and strengthened. Sometimes it's teaching. You know, you go to Scripture and you learn things that you need to know in the moment that you just didn't know before. We learn about the love of God, as Aaron has pointed us to today, that incredible love that is unfailing. You know, you can't do anything to shake God's love for you. Nothing. He's going to love you regardless. And we learn about our need because we have sinned and alienated ourselves from God. We need to find faith in Jesus and we need to know that what he did on the cross was absolutely sufficient for our salvation. And, and, and we learn that God is a merciful God and God is a loving God and God is a gracious God. Like there's so much that we learn in scripture and so much that scripture gives to it. But I want to tell you, my friends, scripture also challenges us. And I hope it challenges you. I, ho I hope not only that you experience that, but that I hope, I hope that you were open to it and that you long for God to speak in significant and in powerful ways into your life so that you end up thinking and living differently. Let me just give you a little secret. If you're never challenged by Scripture, there's something not firing, right? We're not firing on all cylinders, if you would. The book is intended to move us along. I mean, I'm just standing here thinking 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy 3.16. It, it's to correct us and to train us in righteousness. So it says in itself. Well, we are in a series uh, right now that talks a lot about us embracing the reality of telling others about Jesus as Christ himself did. And guess what I'm hoping? That it's a challenge for you as it is for me. You know, this, this idea of telling others so that other people come to faith in Jesus, it's wired into the DNA of IPC. And it has been for years and years and years. You know, our, our, our mission statement talks about we exist to the purpose of our existence, and it notes several things. But the very first thing is to introduce people to Jesus. You know, to tell people about this one who has come and who loves us and who has died for us and, and in whom we can find forgiveness of our sins and relationship with God. You know, our, our, our vision statement talks about how we are, are storytellers, how we can tell the, the, the story of what God is doing in our lives to people who don't know him so that they are drawn to faith in Jesus, so much so that this church fills up to overflowing, so much so that we have to establish alternate sites for worship, satellite churches. Now, can you imagine that? Can you see it in your vision of what is in the future of this church? Can you literally sit back and think a year from now, 50 more people in this auditorium on a Sunday morning, not because they've transferred from other churches. We Christians are fabulous at that, aren't we? But because people who were lost, to use the word of, uh, of Luke 15, have come to know and believe in and trust Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what we're about. And then the year after that, another 50 or 100. And the year after that, another 50 or 100. And Chris, come on you're getting, it's silly talk. No, it's not. If God is in it, it's not silly talk. 
because this is why the church exists. It's what Christ calls us to. It is what we're intended to engage in. And thus comes the challenge. And the challenge is, how do we get from here to there? How do we come to that place where this is happening with regularity and people's lives are being blessed and they're so incredibly thankful because they have found the beautiful thing of a relationship with God, which many of us know. That's the vision, at least in part. Well, we're looking at Luke chapter 15 and three stories um, that describe three lost items. Jesus is making up little stories to communicate something. And the first is the story of the shepherd and the sheep. The lost item is the sheep. It's wandered off. Then the lost coin, which the woman looks for. And then the lost son, the parable of the, the, the prodigal son. And in these three stories where there are three lost items and, 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 and they are sought for until they're found, there are three dynamics about what we're calling evangelism. What is called evangelism? Telling the good news to people who don't know it so that they come to believe in Christ. And these dynamics, I would suggest to you, they're foundational dynamics. And if we will grapple with them and if we will embrace them as our own, I want to tell you evangelism will flourish at IPC. And we will see 50 people come to faith, 100 people come to faith. I don't know, but that's what we wish to just breathe into life and bring into reality. And the story of Jesus, just to give context again, Jesus is, is challenging He's speaking the word of God because he was the son of God literally among us living and, 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 and he is evangelizing a bunch of people and there are also a bunch of Pharisees, they say, and, and teachers of the law, the religious types. And they are condemning Jesus in the strongest terms because he's even talking to these people. He's doing evangelism and he's being condemned for it. You know, newsflash, something wrong with their perspective, Right? And, and, and he's, he's in this situation and, and he's being condemned and he's being told, or they are talking amongst themselves and saying he, he talks with sinners and even eats with them. Ooh. And they're saying, that's bad. He shouldn't be doing that. The man's a rabbi. What on earth is going on? And I want to tell you what, what happened last week is that we studied the idea of proximity because Jesus had moved into close proximity with lost people, people who were lost to God, far from God. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, not only were they not in close proximity, they were in distant proximity. They stayed away and wouldn't go toward or touch. But they refused to do so. They wanted nothing to do with that kind of activity or engagement. And we're going to look at the second story today. Context is the same. Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus is going to tell a second story now. Now, he's speaking to them. And, and if you haven't caught this before, Jesus is strongly challenging these people. You know, sometimes we think of Jesus like, you know, mamby-pamby Jesus. Ever, like, how do you perceive Jesus? It's like Jesus is Bambi with two legs, you know? He's gentle and nice all the time, and he wouldn't say a thing to offend people. I want to tell you right here, right now, as is often the case, Jesus is strongly challenging the Pharisees and teachers of the law, probably to the point of offense, although it doesn't say so. Highly likely. Jesus offended them all the time because he was passionate about the truth of the word of God, and he challenged it when it wasn't being lived out and, and supported, by, especially by those religious leaders. So anyway, this story is the story. The second one is the story of, of a woman who lost a coin. And I'm going to um, read these verses to you now, verses 8 to 10 of Luke 15. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, 
sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and, say, and says, uh, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. My friends, I want to tell you this is a profound story. A story which Jesus brings into the minds and into the hearts, hopefully, of those who are listening to him and, 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 and challenges them in a very significant way. He comes to them and, and, and basically what he's saying is, consider this story. I know I'm making it up, but think about the reality of what's being spoken here. Here is a woman. Um, and, and here is a woman who is quite frankly poor. The people of Israel were poor, generally speaking. You know that. They were dominated by a dictatorial power named Rome. Rome highly taxed the common people, so they had very little to live on. Now, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they'd be doing okay. And the tax collectors, they'd be doing okay too. But not many people were doing okay. And the reality is that the text says she has ten coins and she's lost one of them. And what she starts to do, obviously, is to get a light out, and she gets busy, and she carefully, and, and the, the sense of persistence is in that verse. She seeks after this thing because she needs to find it. You know why she needs to find it? Because women in this culture couldn't work and make a living. There's no mention of a husband in this story. Uh, men were allowed to work and make a living. Women, not so much. Uh, very often when a woman didn't have a husband, she would be destitute and struggling, and all of a sudden, one of her ten coins is gone. One-tenth of her possession is gone. And, and you know, she, she struggles with this dynamic because this one coin is worth a day's wages. It's a lot of money to her. She really cares. Tenth of her life savings is gone, and she's nine coins away from destitution. Let me ask you this. How would you feel if 10% of everything that you had just disappeared? Probably a lot of us would say, well, that wouldn't be good, <laughs> but I'd be okay because my 90% amounts to quite a lot. What, what if I said 10% of what you had disappeared and all you had left was nine days' wages in the bank, and that's all? Beginning to see the picture that Jesus is painting? <clears throat> The point is this, that the coin is a big deal. It is valuable to this woman. And she works and she looks and she seeks and she's representing God, right? She seeks until she finds it. When she finds it, you know, it's not like an apathetic, oh, there it is, I'll put it in my pocket and get back to my daily chores. No, 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 she finds this coin and it is such a big deal that she invites her friends and her family into, the, into her home and she said, let's celebrate, let's rejoice because I have found my coin. You're getting, the, you're getting the, the, the dynamic of this story and what Jesus is describing? She's thrilled to have it back. And I want to suggest to you dynamic number two in these stories that Jesus is saying, those, the, those things that are lost, and indeed these lost people, people lost to God, they are valuable to God. They are valuable to him. Now contrast that with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They gave no valuable value to these lost ones or to Jesus talking to them to share with them the reality of the love of God and salvation. They give no value to that. They give no value to, to eating with them. They would refuse to do that. They weren't evangelizing and they wouldn't do it because those people weren't worth their time or attention. They just didn't care. Think about this. They describe them as sinners. He talks with and eats with sinners. Can you hear the disdain in their voice? 
as it's spoken. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, what's going on here is these people are labeling these individuals Jesus is speaking with, and in labeling them, he demeans them. It's derogatory. He's eating with sinners. You know, he, he, they don't recognize that these people have value or dignity in God's eyes. They feel they are better, that they are somehow above these sinners. They're more valuable than them, that they are of greater worth than them because they think, the Pharisees do, that value comes from behavior. You live like me, I'll value you. You're important and you are significant. If you obey the law, you are valuable and you are significant. But if you don't live like me, if you don't obey the law of God, somehow you're not valuable at all uh, in my eyes. And I will demean you. I will diminish you as a result. See, Jesus is making a point. He is challenging the leaders. Please don't miss it that these lost ones that I'm talking with, these, these lost ones that I'm eating with, these lost ones that I'm sharing my life with, they are incredibly valuable. They are significant. They are worthy of my time and my attention and my heart in relationship. I want to tell you, this, this, this dynamic of value is the one that runs across all three stories of the three that I'm going to bring to you. Um, you know, you read the story of the, the lost sheep it says that the shepherd has 99 sheep in the fold and one goes missing. And somebody might say, such as the fairy, well, you've got 99. Don't worry about one. But that shepherd, he is absolutely of a different perspective. Says, even one who is far from the, the, the pen, even one who is lost, I am going to go after that sheep and I'm going to seek for that sheep until I find it. And I'm going to bring that sheep back so that it can be where the others are. He, he cares a lot about one sheep. Think of, the, think of the story of the prodigal son. You know, the, the son goes away and, and he comes back and he says to his, his father, first words, I am not worthy to be called your son. Note the word worthy. I'm not valuable enough to be called your son. Look how I lived. I've sinned and I have squandered half your wealth. I'm not good enough to be called your son anymore. And think about it, too, when he's away and he's blowing all his money, his friends don't consider him worthy. They don't take care of him. And it says that he was hungry and he was starving because no one would give him anything to eat. Why would you bother with such a person? There's no value given to this young boy until this guy comes back and his father sees him as a distance and he runs toward him and he throws his arms around him and he loves him and he puts sandals on his feet and a coat on his back and a ring on his finger. He said, you are my son and you are precious to me and I am thrilled that you are back home. He celebrates the value of that child who he holds in his arms and loves. And what Jesus is doing as he speaks to these Pharisees is, you know, he's saying to them, you know, I'm the shepherd, right? And I'm the guy who is looking for the lost sheep right now. And you know, I'm the woman. And I'm the one who is seeking until I find the lost and bring uh, so that I can have them with me. And I'm the father. I'm the father. And here, here are the lost sons and daughters. And I give them value and worth. And I, and I love them. And I, and I embrace them in spite of what they have done. These people are precious to me. I am the seeker, and I am seeking. It's, it's in my heart. I'm passionate about it. You guys don't care, but I'm telling you, you're off base because this is the heart of God. 
And then comes this party at the end. Let me read verse 9 and 10 to you again. I want you to note something of interest. And when she, this woman, finds it, the coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, Jesus tells the story, and, and he, he writes a little party of rejoicing and celebration into the story because the woman has found her coin, and I've spoken to that. But you know where celebration and rejoicing literally happen? When one person who is lost to God finds faith in, in God, finds faith in Jesus, and, and becomes part of the family of God, literally he's saying there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God in heaven. There's, there's a celebration of incredible joy because one sinner comes to repent and find faith in Jesus. It's an incredible extra comment. These people and them coming to believe in, 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 in me and follow and entering into the kingdom of God, they're a big deal. They're precious. They're valuable. They're of great significance to God. Well, in each of these, I've told you, each of these three little stories, uh, there is a lie. So there's a story, there's a dynamic, and there's a lie which is needing to be replaced by a truth. And what is the lie in this story? Well, it's really, really simple. <laughs> the lie is this, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believe it to their core. Uh, lost ones are not valuable. Uh, you know, it's not a, they're not a big deal. Um, you know, you can say it in a different way, but you could say, too, they just don't count. It's not important to talk to them and, and, and to bring them into a relationship with God. Well, what's the truth if indeed that is the lie? Well, the truth is so simple. <laughs> the lost people are incredibly valuable, and they are worthy, Jesus is saying to us, of our time and of our attention and of our heart, a relationship with them. I'm here to challenge you today. What do you think? What do you believe? Bill Hybels, who is the pastor of, or I guess maybe retired pastor now of Willow Creek Community Church, if not retired, retiring. But he, he said this quote, and it stuck with me. It's such a profound thing. It says, there is not a person you will ever meet eyes with who is not loved by God. That just knocked me over when I heard him say that. There is not a person you will ever meet eyes with who is not loved by God. Can I create a bit of a twist on the sentence? There is not a person you will ever meet eyes with who is not deeply valued by God. That is true. And that is what Jesus is calling us to in this text as he's calling the Pharisees to the very same thing. I want to illustrate this a little bit. Um, you know, before going to Nicaragua, I saw people in the developing world who were in poverty. I saw children, you know, with um, distended bellies and skin and bones. You know, I saw children on, on the television, World Vision commercials and otherwise, who, um, you know, who were really struggling. It was obvious. You know, flies in their face and their eyes. You've seen these commercials. And I want to tell you that in that experience, uh, I wasn't impacted the way that I think a follower of Jesus should have been impacted. I, I looked at them and I thought, well, they're people in poverty. They're, they're really poor, right? 
And I thought, <clears throat> you know, that's not good, and we should do something about it. Da, 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 da. But you know what? I, I characterized them, and in so doing, those who were in poverty, I diminished them. Well, I went to Nicaragua for the very first time, and I learned some incredible lessons of the kingdom. And by the way, if you haven't gone, can I strongly encourage you to go? Because when you walk into that scenario, when you step out of your comfort zone, when you see the world in, in a different light and encounter life differently, God does something. So really think about that. It's worth the sacrifice. But I went to Nicaragua, and I came in, and note the words, I came into close proximity with people who were in poverty, living in poverty. Um, and I saw children running around in bare feet, and I saw children in ragged clothing, which often were dirty. And I saw children with reddish hair because they were suffering from malnutrition. And I saw children, and it wasn't really obvious where I was because I was in Managua, but I saw children, if you look closely, they had distended bellies, which describes how they were in a stage of, of starvation. And I saw them living in these shacks with dirt floors and you know, gaps in the walls. And I wondered what happens when the rains come and the winds blow. And, you know, a thought came to me as I processed this or tried to. Um, the thought was this, because I also encountered them in families and I met their parents and so forth. And the thought was this, um, what must it be like to not be able to feed your children and to know that they're hungry all the time? What must it be like to not be able to feed your children to know that they're hungry all the time and to know that you cannot provide for them no matter what you do, it seems. Medical care otherwise, it's just not there. You know what I thought? I thought, you know, these children are as precious This is what Nicaragua does to you, right? These children are as precious to these people as my children are precious to me. There's no difference. I never thought about that when I watched the commercials. It didn't cross my mind. They're just kids living in poverty. It's unfortunate. And I realized to these, <laughs> that these children who were in poverty were people who were valued and precious sons and daughters of their parents, but also of God in heaven. And I stopped characterizing them as simply people who were poor. And I started to realize who they were in the eyes of God. See, the essential question we need to grapple with as we look at Jesus, who is valuing as precious those who are lost, is do we value them and consider them precious? as he did. You know, do we value them and consider them of worth and of dignity enough to move into close proximity with them, to enter into their lives, to give them time and to give them attention and to be in relationship with such people, to open our hearts to them and love them? You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor, you know, part of the great commandment, of course, and because of the parable of the... Good Samaritan, <clears throat> he clarified too, is that our neighbor is anybody that you encounter who is in need. 
anybody. Um, and what he's doing in this instance, very simply, is saying, these people are your neighbor, and I'm loving them. I'm caring for them. <laughs> I'm being with them because they are precious to me and they are worthy. I'm going to read a, a verse from Romans to you and it, it uses the word sinner <clears throat> again. It's not in a derogatory or diminishing way in this instance. It's more stating the fact that we are all sinners. We all sin. I just want to check again. Anybody here who's perfect? Let me see that hand. I just, I want to clarify. Nobody. Okay, we're all on the same page then. We're sinners. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and I want you to tell me who the sinners are that Paul is writing about. <clears throat> but God demonstrates his own love for us. There it is again, my friends. For us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the sinners, as it's being described in that verse, it's, it's you and me. We are the sinners. And it says, while we were yet sinners, what did Jesus do? He died on a cross so that our need might be met. He came close, into close proximity. He came to the world and he gave his life so that we might live. You and me, life, eternal, abundant. And I want to tell you, before Jesus did that, we were of equal value to what we are now as his children. We didn't get more valuable because Jesus died for us. Before and after, the value is the same. It doesn't matter whether you're a sinner or saved. It doesn't matter whether you're lost or you're found. We were valuable then as we are valuable now. There is no difference. And what the story is suggesting to us is Jesus was with these people and loving them and showing them value and, 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 and caring for them. It's the thing that they needed more than anything else. The thing that they needed more than anything else was to know Jesus. Right? Just to know him and to hear the good news through him and to be blown away. We don't know what Jesus was talking about. Was he talking about the love of God? Was he talking about this God who's an incredibly merciful God and a forgiving God, contrary to what these Pharisees and teachers of the law were portraying about God, and quite frankly, contrary to what still is the common caricature of God. Oh, he's a judge who will condemn. God is loving and merciful and gracious. God will forgive you of your sin. These are probably the things Jesus was talking about or at least communicating. And he was addressing the greatest need in the lives of these precious, precious people. You know, I hear the phrase <clears throat> spoken once in a while. It's, I believe, from an early church father, they're called, uh, that has some resonance with a lot of people in the church today. It's that, and the phrase is this, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. You heard that? In one way, I like the phrase because we have got to live authentic Christian lives. We have got to preach the gospel, not only with words, but how we live so that people see the dynamic of God's love in us and the transformed life of Jesus what his spirit has done in us. But the implication of this statement is preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. It's almost like you don't need to use words. And quite frankly, the more I think about the phrase, the less I like it. 
Because in the end of the day, as Jesus demonstrates to us, as he talked with sinners, in the end of the day, no one is going to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ unless somebody tells them about him. Unless someone engages people, moves into close proximity because they value these people to such a degree that in the end, they end up sharing Christ so that people can say, you know what, I've come to believe that too. You see, my friends, that's why we're telling our stories in our life groups. I've heard of it in so many instances that life groups uh, are getting together and people are sharing their stories of what God has done in them because as we share it in life groups, it becomes a whole lot easier to share it with people who don't know Christ. And it's not only, I want to say this, it's not only this long story about how Christ has come into my life and my conversion. Talk about what, what the Lord Jesus did last week. Talk about what he did last week or yesterday. Not some historic thing, not only some historic thing, but how the Lord is at work in your life and he's healing you and challenging you and, and making you more like him and blessing you. And by the way, if you don't have a story of what Jesus did last week, then you really need to dig in because he can be at work in your life in that kind of way and desires to. My friends, the idea is that we will tell our stories and as we tell our stories and how we are living this story, God's story, and then we share it with people who are outside our community of faith, people who have no idea about Jesus, as is demonstrated in this text. People will be inspired and the Holy Spirit will move in power in their lives and they'll want to know more and you'll be able to describe more. And they'll come to believe. They'll come to believe because God uses what we do for his glory and for his sake. I want to finish this morning with a challenge. And I want to tell you, it's a pointed challenge. I'm glad you're all sitting down. And I want to finish this way because Jesus' words to the um, Pharisees and teachers of the law was a very pointed challenge in his day. He was basically saying, you guys are blowing it. You are wrong. You're way off base when it comes to the heart of God. This is the heart of God even to the point of potentially offending them. I hope I don't offend you. I don't intend to. But let me say this. If we don't have authentic relationship, friendship, with people who are lost to God, if we don't give time and attention and relationship and open up our hearts to such people, if we're not doing it right now, seeking the lost with intentionality as that woman sought the lost coin, we probably don't value the lost. Because we tend to give ourselves to what we value and what is important to us. You see, for a lot of people, I'm just going to say it, a lot of Christian people, observation, I hope it's not judgment, statement of fact, there are a lot of Christian people whose lives just don't include the value of people who are far from God. A lot of other things are really important to us. But very often, seeking the lost, mm-mm, Somebody else can do Oh, Pastor Chris can do that. Doesn't he do that every Sunday morning? <laughs> Chances are the large majority of people here aren't lost. Right, you know, right? Chances is really, really good. And by the way, if you do see yourself as one of those people and you haven't come to faith in Jesus, I, I want you to know he deeply loves you and he's died for you. 
and he will forgive every sin you have ever committed or ever will commit, and you can become part of God's family, loved and precious, not that you are becoming it, you always have been, but loved by God and in relationship with God, and you will remain in that state throughout eternity in heaven. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So if that happens to be you, I hope you hear it and deeply grapple with that reality and say, hey, I want to know more take that step into that journey toward the Lord Jesus and to faith in him. But my friends, IPC, every single person who calls IPC home, I'm challenging you today. Do you value the lost? Valuable and worthy enough to give your time, attention, and heart to? Or are they just not on the, on the radar of importance in your life? If that's the case, Jesus is, he's talking to you today and I is he talking to our church my friends let's just hear the word of God and let's reject the lie that people who are lost who are far from God who don't live like us and who don't talk like us and who don't believe in Jesus like us let's reject the lie that they're unimportant and let's stop labeling them and diminishing them and demeaning them and let's start believing the truth and the truth is and I've said it already <laughs> They are valued, worthy, and precious to God. And as such, they must be to us. They are valuable as people created in the image of God. Last week, I challenged the congregation which was here, the people who were here. I said, in terms of, 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 of the sermon, let's take one concrete action step to move into close proximity with people who are far from God. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but I hope you did. One simple, concrete step to move into close proximity as opposed to distant with people who are far from God. Can I ask you this week essentially to do the very same thing? To take one concrete action step to communicate value to a person who is far from the Lord. My friends, as we start to not only hear that challenge, but to embrace the challenge, I want to tell you the Spirit of God will work in power and lives will be changed. That might mean you ask somebody for a coffee that you might not normally ask to coffee. You invite someone to lunch at work and just sit and talk and kind of offer friendship and relationship. You invite people into your home. You know, some of these things I said last week at the hockey rink. You know, I heard about somebody at a hockey rink this week and you have a chat with somebody that you wouldn't normally talk to <laughs> just because they're precious people to God and they are precious people and they need to be precious to us too. You see, my friends, we have a vision here and God has a vision for our church. I hope you don't think that we just dreamed this up and this is, this is God's vision for us. This is God's will for us. Can I, can I put it in a more pointed way? This is God's will for you and for me. It is. What we do with it becomes a question. You see, the, we, we have to choose. The Pharisees chose a position. And Jesus chose a position, what to do with these folks. He chose it. To be a typical rabbi, he'd be over with the religious crowd. And the danger is that's where we hang out and stay there. And in the end of, end of the day, we all get to choose a position in this one. Every single one of us, we decide whether such people are valuable and worthy or whether they're not and whether we will engage such people 
in the way the Lord Jesus calls us to. So I want you to choose. Pushy, challenging Chris, right? But I think this is the word of God. This is the word of Jesus. This is, this is the message of the book here today. You choose. Stand back and criticize others who are doing it or be apathetic about such people and so forth. Or engage in relationship with very precious people whom God loves. Share your story with them. Show them the love of God until the Lord by his spirit steps in as we pray for opportunities to share and that they might see the reality of Christ in us until the Lord steps in and turns their world upside down by faith. That's what God calls us to. And I say to you, my, my flock, let's choose well. Let's pray. My goodness, Lord, your, your word is such a challenging reality to us. Because when we dig in, when we allow it to speak to us, when we unpack its truth, so often we see that we don't think the way that we could think and the way you think. And sometimes, Lord, we don't live the way, Lord Jesus, you lived. And we're challenged. But Lord Jesus, when you were here on earth, you had no problem challenging people. Because you knew in the challenge there was love and out of that challenge could come incredible blessing for this world of ours. So Lord, I would pray for this congregation of wonderful people. Um, and I would include myself in, in this prayer, Lord. I, I pray, we pray together that you will allow us to be like Jesus who spoke to the sinners that day even though he was condemned for it who defended himself with strength because he knew he was in the will of God doing exactly what the Father had sent him to do. So I pray, Father, for every single one of us that we will take one concrete, concrete action step this week which will allow us to give value and dignity and worth and significance to somebody who's far from you. Help us to step out of what is normal for us, step out of what is even safe, so that people might see and hear of Jesus. And so that your spirit would, that, would have that opportunity to work in their minds and in their hearts and lead them into a relationship with you. God blesses us in this, encourages us in this, strengthens us in this. And we pray, Father, we pray that we can become such a church which so engages storytelling in the lives of people who are far from you that we will see <clears throat> dozens and dozens and dozens of people come to faith in Jesus, even in this next year. God, move us to faithfulness. Move us to having a heart which Jesus had and still has so that these people who are absolutely loved and precious to you might become yours, forgiven, free, celebrating what they have found in Christ. God, work your work in us. Move by the power of your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, we ask these things.